Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. My co-host today is Nathan. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and thanks for having me again. Today's topic, Lionsgate's 2008 big screen Marvel adaption, Punisher Warzone. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. The film is a reboot rather than a sequel to 2004's The Punisher. It is the third feature film adaption of The Punisher and the first of two films to be produced under the Marvel Knights production banner, which focuses on films for mature audiences. Punisher Warzone and Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, the second Nick Cage Ghost Rider film. So they're the only two they made under the Marvel Knights banner. This film, Nathan, I've I've got to ask. I know as a character you like the Punisher, but I don't know. Have you seen the Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie from the 80s? I'm assuming you've seen the Tom Jane Punisher film from 2004. Yeah, um, that's absolutely right. I, I have seen the Tom Jane one. My memory of it is hazy. My recollection is, is hazy, but I have seen it. The Dolph Lundgren one, no, I have not, but it's it's high priority on my list to watch. I, I really wanted to watch it just because I know it's a cult classic. Yeah, it is. And I was able to pick up a special edition Blu-ray from JB Hi-Fi. Quite oh, a nice. few special features. And it also includes a reversible cover. On one side, it's a shot of Dolph. On the other side is an illustration. And that's the side that I've chose to have it on. Nothing against Dolph. That's I cool. just like yeah. the, the animation style that they've used. What a, what a weird choice to have Dolph Lundgren as Frank Castle as well. He dyed his hair black. He looked the part. Yeah. He didn't yeah. at any point have a skull on his chest. The only time you really saw skulls were the, the, the tips of the handle of the knives that he was using. Uh, That's where they included. But you know what? Soon. It came out in 89. And we all know mm. which other famous comic book movie came out in 89. Oh, yeah. I reckon if Punisher would have come out after Batman, they'd have made it a bit more faithful to the comics and not just had That's Dolph true. with black hair and a black suit. Yeah. Had they bought it out a year before or a year after, so it wasn't overshadowed by the success of Batman 89, then you're right. It would have got a lot more attention. But Burton's Batman showed you can put a comic book on screen and they shied away from it in Dolph's Punisher. But in 2004, mm. like Jay and I have already reviewed that movie. It was more faithful to the comics. Uh, yep. I did see that film at the cinema. I've got to be honest, which is unusual for me. I cannot remember if I watched this movie at the cinema or not. It's a blind spot for me. I've definitely yeah. seen it a handful of times. And most recently... I'm the same. For this I'm review. the same. I'm the same. I want to say I saw it in the cinema, but I can't be 100% certain it was that long ago. It might have been um, it might have been at home that I watched it. I've got a feeling it probably was. It was released in America by Lionsgate December 5th, 2008. In the UK, it was released by Sony Pictures. We got it February 6th in 2009. It was released to negative reviews. Grossed 10 million worldwide, making it a commercial failure. I did look into Australia. It had a DVD premiere, 14th of July 2009. That's all I can find on it. So I don't know if that means it went straight to DVD in Australia or if 
for some reason they've listed the DVD premiere instead of the theatrical premiere. But it did eventually come out in Australia on DVD, 14th of July. Oh no! Yeah, I don't. I don't remember it getting a, a cinematic uh, or a theatrical release. So I think you're right. I think it was a straight to DVD movie. And just Attract. looking at that, the fact that in the US it was Lionsgate, in the UK it was Sony. Look at the recent Kevin Smith films, which do get a Lionsgate distribution in the US. We've not necessarily been getting them in Australia, as recent as Clerks Three. Yeah. So maybe it is. We've been we've been getting yeah. snubbed lately. It seems that way. It seems that mm. way for smaller movies. I like some horror movies as well, like um, Pearl, yeah. the ex people yeah. movie. It's only just getting released here in Australia, whereas in the US, and I believe the UK, they had it last year. Do you think it's possible that the pandemic has played a role in um, you know, the the, um, the changing of distribution and the way it happens and no, the, the accessibility of it? I don't know, because what we're talking about here with The Punisher happened... 2008 2009 which obviously predates the the pandemic so i said it grossed 10 million worldwide budget 35 million that's a problem Mm -hmm. that is that is a problem if you're spending more than you're earning that's not good business yeah it's not good for the studio yeah and i'm pretty sure it is still the lowest grossing marvel film I mean, but that was, this is, wasn't this before Marvel Studios was a thing? Or was this just as Marvel Studios was starting to get off the ground? Uh, by this point, they would have had, I reckon, Iron Man, Incredible yeah. Hulk. Mm. So they were fledgling. So that's a weird overlap, isn't it? Yeah. Because you would think that they would bring it under in-house and under the banner. Interesting, too, that they they chose to brand it Marvel Knights, uh, which, as we know, was the the adult-oriented comic book run under That's Joe Casada, who was yeah. then, then editor-in-chief. I remember I had a, a US import DVD of Man-Thing, which is a shocker of the movie. That was shot around the same time as the 2005 Fantastic Four movie. So mm, that was yep. happening in New York and in Louisiana this man thing movie was happening and there was no eyes on it and when marvel saw it they were like nope that is not good Mm -hmm. but it did get a dvd release in the us and i haven't seen it and it's pretty it's pretty shocking um yes sucks huh (laughs) it really really (laughs) does okay punisher you mentioned mcu so warzone was the final film to be produced by an outside studio before the rights reverted Mm. to marvel studios we, oh, but actually, so we've got Ray Stevenson as the Punisher, Frank Castle in this movie. Interestingly, he did reprise the role of Castle in the Superhero Squad kid show. You know, that like preschool animated Oh, wow. Show? So from this yeah, film. He voiced, he voiced yep. it. <laughs> First here, and then he did that. Isn't that insane? Is, what what, what, it what is. a... What a, what a paradox, because the movie itself, as we'll get into it, is very gritty and violent and dark. And then, yeah, he goes and does the voice for Frank in um, in a kid's school, in a kid's show. And not like a kid's show for like 10 and up. This was like a preschool show, like a proper... That is bizarre. Proper kid's show. I like it when they do that, though. I like it yeah. when the film actors or the TV actors will then pop up in animation yeah. or or wherever. So it is cool. Yeah, Ron Perlman did that with Hellboy. They did that. That's right. Oh, yeah, man, but that's... they they were tie-ins though, weren't they, to the to the films? They yeah. did two of those. Yeah. Whereas this was independent, like a standalone. What what a bizarre factoid. 
again i like that he did it and then you know yeah. stevenson he joined the mcu as volstag in the thor movies where he's looking very That's different right. slightly more rotund in yes in those thor movies i forgot that was him holy crap there we go big belly red hair beard he yeah, looks yeah wow. very different Ray and of stevenson course trades up Trades up Frank Castle for Volstagg. Wow. Yeah, there we go. There we go. But of course, a TV series of The Punisher was released on Netflix 2017. And that's, I mean, John I'm going to say, yeah, John Bernthal, but I was just going to say, is set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but we mm. kind of don't know. It is, it isn't. At one point it was, then it wasn't. Daredevil kind of was. I have to go around and watching that. It, it, it is good. I reckon, I reckon you would like it. But let's just say it is part of the the MCU. Matt Murdock. That's kind of nightcore. Yep. Charlie Cox. He's going to be back in Daredevil Born Again. Looking forward anyway, to that. That's, that's a whole other thing. Well, let's uh, let's mm-hmm. talk. Fish. Let's talk Warzone. Let's start with the director, Lexi Alexander. Now, this is a action movie. Lots of action. Lots of gore. Interestingly, she is a former World Karate Association world champion in karate point fighting. And, of course, he's best known for directing this movie and Green Street Hooligans, which in the UK, I think we just got it as Green Street, the football hooligan movie with Charlie Hunnam. Elijah Wood is in there. But I think they're the only two films of note. She's done a lot of TV since. But coming from... That background, you can imagine her on set being great with the stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she would probably bring or inject a lot of that life into a movie like Punisher because to make it really visceral and visually interesting. It's disappointing to hear, and, and it'll come up during this review, she came up against the studio or Lionsgate a lot during the production of this film not being mm. listened to it just there's so many examples of it so i don't think so she wasn't result... getting she wasn't getting studio support or studio no. backing no oh well i mean just to start off and, and she has been very vocal about this over the years there's a podcast how did this get made she was on there um she was saying um the studio brought in freddie Prince jr to audition for the role of jigsaw she was mm. surprisingly impressed by his audition. However, he was then denied and she wasn't allowed to cast him. So Lionsgate. Oh, boy. Yeah, Lionsgate put a stop to that. And then there's so many things that have that have come out over the years, like tonally, and she just wasn't able to do the things that she wanted to do. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? All the politics uh, and internal dynamics behind all these decision-making processes that that happen that, that no one is really privy to unless it gets spoken about on on a show or a podcast or divulged. I find that really interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And it's always like interesting, you know, reading about those things when when doing prep for these for these episodes. I mean, of course, I we it. didn't get Peter Prince Jr. We instead got Dominic West. He was Jigsaw. I mean. There's a point in the movie good. where horrifically it gets his face mangled. That's where the yeah. the moniker yeah. jigsaw comes jigsaw, from. Yeah. I don't know. I think I mean you know Dominic West is fine, but I reckon Freddie Prince could have done a decent a decent job in that role. But we need to talk more about Ray Stevenson, Frank Castle, The Punisher. I love this guy's commitment. Prior to filming, mm. Stevenson read 
every possible issue of the Punisher Max series, he underwent a grueling training session with the US Marines to prepare him for the lead role. So he was putting so much time and effort, and I believe Lexi Alexander was as well. With Stevenson, he improvised a lot of the Punisher's one-liners based on his knowledge of the comic characters' throwaway lines. It is, and I really like that fact. But I've, yeah. this this point, this next thing is very interesting. At what point in the film, how many minutes into the film do you think it is until the Punisher says a word? And before mm. you answer, this is a 90-minute movie. I'm going to go half an hour, an hour into the movie. Pretty much half an hour, 25 minutes. So I applaud. Wow. Stevenson for improvising a lot of the characters' one-liners, but he doesn't say anything for 25 minutes. That's pretty insane. But that's like, you know, it shows commitment to the character. Like you say, it's like he's he's a testament to an actor who really takes his craft seriously and takes the subject matter he's handed seriously. And you you, you can't help it but, but admire that. You know, that's awesome. He really imbues Frank with the gravitas he needs, you know, uh, the trauma that he's gone through. He really shows that. Um, then there's those moments of levity where he adds a, a little funny a little one-liner, like you say, it just it totally just fits so well with, with what's going on. It's just, it just works, you know, as a, a juxtaposition to the violence that's happening. Yeah, but he's definitely a highlight of the film, which which is oh, good yeah. because he's the yeah. he's a title character. But it was incredible. I really, I really liked him as Punisher. I really wish I he really, had stuck around for it. Yeah. I well, you can watch the superhero squad. <laughs> and get more yeah. of his Punisher there. At one time, though, Thomas Jane was attached for the lead role, but he turned it down, stating that he thought the script was going in the wrong direction. He felt it was too comic book, whereas he wanted a more gritty, realistic approach. This film's way more violent than his movie. Dude, what was he thinking? And If anything, this movie was gritty and realistic. This didn't feel comic book to me. This oh, felt- it didn't. Oh, no, like it, like it, that's interesting. Like, well, I mean, it, you can tell they pull from Gareth Ennis's tenure writing The Punisher with all the violence and, and, um, with all the, the, the mobs and stuff. Like, you know, you've got the, um, the Black Irishman, he's in it as well. Um, and that thing that was an, uh, that was an Ennis character, um, from his run. So you know, they're pulling from the, the material, but it just had that grittiness and that violence to it. It just, it just felt like a really dark movie. It didn't feel like a comic book movie, you know, to me. It could be pulling from the source material that Jane didn't like, even though mm. we're not. I mean, this movie—they're not exactly going for Christopher Reeve Superman, are they? <laughs> like, you know, no. bright and optimistic no. and all of that. It is very much Punisher Warzone, which it's was a, a series tale. of comics, and yeah, it's a revenge tale. But I mean, yeah. the opening scene, which is pretty great, when they're all sitting down to dinner. And then you've got the Punisher dangling upside down from the chandelier, from the chandelier automatic yeah. weapons, propelling out. himself round and round. That is pretty cool, lifted from a comic book. What they did as well, the film's color palette is designed to mirror that of the comics. This is achieved by only using three lead colors on screen at any given time. Well, just like primary colors or complementary or what? Well, but they're just saying, well, they're all dark, muted colors, aren't they? So whether mm. it's a green, it's a red, but they they were yeah. definitely going for a particular style. And I think if, right. if they're the types of conversations they're having and they're referencing comic panels, they're referencing having scenes 
look like the comics. Maybe Jane was thinking something else, like not necessarily Christopher Superman, but thinking something other than what it is. It does have a muted palette, um, and that's kind of cool. I I like that. I like the grittiness of it. I liked it. You know, the scenes at night where he's out in the street, in the suburbs or in the inner city, and all you see is the yellow of streetlights, you know, um, up against the, the hard you know dark colors of the night or, or the surrounds and like you say it's a really nice muted color palette and it works it it does work and, and again the movie that's what jane um he just didn't know what it was gonna look well, like i mean the movie's better the movie's better for having stevenson in the in the role you know rather than jane in that respect you know there's, the there's a scene in jane's punisher yeah. film where he's setting someone up uh a bodyguard who is working for Travolta's character. And and do you know what the Punisher does? He moves a fire hydrant beside this guy's car so he gets a parking ticket, which <laughs> is evidence that he was somewhere he shouldn't have been at a particular date and time, which is fine. And it's showing that, you know, it's more like a, a detective mind. I, I like it. But at the same time, this Punisher is a lot more like, Punisher that we know from the comics. He's not mm. being sneaky, moving fire hydrants. He's just outright killing people. Kicks I mean, the, doors open and blows people away. Right. The death count, 80 plus in this movie. I was wondering that when we were watching the movie. I was like, what's his body count? He's got to be up there with Robocop or Rambo. So many. You know, the first Rambo film, I think he kills that one person and it was an accident or self defense. Beast. It's only like later films where it's like one man army Rambo where he's killing an insane yeah. amount of people. Let's go back to the director, because specifically talking about his costume, she said that she was against using the skull emblem on Stevenson's costume. However, fans wanted it to be more prominent than it was in the 2004 film. She described this design as preschoolish in an interview and eventually compromised with a degraded and worn skull image which is similar yeah, to the 2004. Barely legible. You can see it. It's barely legible. But you can you can see it. You know, there's a nice note about the Jane movie, and I, I'm going to try not going back to that movie because we've reviewed that already. Yeah. But the the skull on his shirt is a T-shirt that was gifted to him by his son before he's murdered. So oh, that wow. kind of worked in the story in that particular yeah. film, and that's why that's he wears device. it. It's yeah. It means something to him, and he won't. Anyway, it's, it works there, but they're doing something different here because, again, one, it is um, the reboot. One, one particular element of Stevenson's costume that I find amusing, and I kind of chuckle to myself every time I think about this, is that the big kind of collar that he wears around his neck, the big rounded collar that you see, that reminds me, I, every time I think of it, I just think of the, the villain from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, Chuck Norris. <laughs> yes. He's got something similar going on. He's got yeah. this big kind of cough or this color that goes around him and just kind of covers the lower part of his face every time i see you know ray stevenson's puncher i'm like oh it's chucked anomalous <laughs> so i mean it makes me laugh a little bit that that's a fair uh comical <laughs> comparison but what they've gone for is clearly practical like yeah, he's got that protection yeah. like close hand-to-hand combat if someone's got a knife you know he's got that extra yeah. And, and that's something I never thought about when I was younger. You, you think that big metal rim that protect guards his neck is going to stop someone from like gouging a knife into his neck, you know? So, so that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good combat tactical thinking. Yeah, that's it. It's like yeah, it so it does work, but it does look different from any other iteration of of the Punisher. I like it. Yeah, no, I, like it I, 
I do too. Military. We finally get microchip in this movie. Mm. Apparently, the director... Oh, I'm doing it again. Of that Thomas Jane movie, didn't want microchip in it because he thought he was a bit of a silly character. I don't think that. He's just like a nerdy tech guy that's in a van. He's his man in the chair or man in the van. Mm. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't... Wayne Knight's character, yeah? That's Wayne Knight, yeah. So yeah. He's a character from the comics. Like He is the Punisher's offsider. He doesn't have many people that he trusts, but Microchip no. is one of those few characters that he does. It's like, so it was good seeing him. Yeah. Good to see Newman from Seinfeld in there. I was just going <laughs> to say, it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard not to think yeah. of Newman. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny, though. Can you imagine? Hello, Frank. Hello, Newman. <laughs> and you know, and he'd done Jurassic Park in between Seinfeld and this, but you still think, yeah, yeah, yeah. you still think, uh, He's, think he was know. very prolific. Wayne Knight was so prolific. He had so he had so many appearances and so many things, and, but he's great in this. He, um, he's awesome as Microchip. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, I like him. Yeah, he, um, he plays the, he plays the part well. You know, one thing that I do have, or two things I have. Oh, I'm doing it again. The Thomas Jane movie. I've got both soundtracks. They Back released. And forth, dude. I know. I'll stop. This is the last time. I have the score and the soundtrack, which is like songs from and inspired by. It was the noughties. It was a thing that they were doing for most mm. most movies. But on this film, though, mm. let's keep it Warzone. I'm yep. saying that to myself and not you, because you're doing a very good job <laughs> of only talking about this movie. Michael uh, Wandermacher, he's the composer. If you're unfamiliar, he's worked on numerous well-known projects such as Piranha 3D, mm-hmm. Bloodborne, which is a video game, Twisted Metal, another video game, the Goldbergs TV series. I, I don't know if he's like the ongoing uh, composer on that show. Uh, and he also did the Underworld movie Blood Wars, which I believe was oh, the nice. final one. And he took over from composers Paul Hasslinger and Marco Beltrami. He brought a bit of heavy metal into this. He, there's, a, there's a bit of metal going on um, in various points of the movie toward the end when there's that big last stand in that building um, where Punisher you know, has to basically take out all, all those hired gangs and work his way up to Jigsaw and his brother to, to, and get them. But in the lead up to that, we see we hear a lot of heavy metal. We hear a lot of like, you know, like hard rock and heavy metal, which is awesome. Bit of Slipknot sounding stuff. Yeah, which is cool. I mean, so this soundtrack hits number 23 or the 23 slot on Billboard's top independent albums chart. So it sounds like the soundtrack was more successful than the movie, to be honest. Mm. Well, it was good. Uh, I mean... There's a bit of drama, actually, um, surrounding uh, the original composer. Oh, well. Lexi Alexander was upset by Lionsgate's decision to not only fire her composer, but to make a significantly darker orchestral soundtrack to the film. It was cited that the studio's decision for this was to make the film appear more like The Dark Knight, which was released the same year. I mean, you if you want to make see... it more The Dark Knight, you need to do a lot more than changing the score. If I'm honest. That's it. But you can kind of see the thinking. It does. When you when you say that, I can sort of see some of the comparisons. They are I mean, trying you, to stylistically. They are, but you were just saying you like the music and the music fits, but the director yeah. was against it. So Absolutely. Initially, she didn't like the skull emblem. Um, she liked that she couldn't hire Freddie Prince Jr. It she doesn't like, like she really that they to... fired the composer. Yeah, yeah she... it really, really sounds like she had to comp- work hard to compromise and strike strike a balance. 
And that's it. And when I'm looking at her film credits, I'm only finding two. I mean, maybe she's done more and maybe they're just the more prominent films that she's worked on. I've definitely yeah. seen her name on TV. I mean, imagine. I think, do you know what? I even imagine think, that. I think I've seen her, um, her name on an episode of Legends of Tomorrow. She's definitely oh, done some TV. I mean, imagine the pressures and, and the scrutiny she's under from the studio heads uh, and bosses and stuff. Um, and, you know, like shareholders and backers and all of the political side of it, you know. So it's, I guess it's the art of not wanting to compromise her, her the integrity of her vision, but at the same time, you know, she's got to kind of sort of uh, move the way the studio wants her to move, you know. And, yeah, and there must be a, a fine line to straddle. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and thinking about it, she may have been the first, or if not one of the first, female directors to do a comic book movie. Of course, years later, we got Patty Jenkins with Wonder Woman. But yeah. this maybe is the first time... subject matter. But... Yeah, but what I'm saying is this is potentially the first time a female has directed a comic yeah. book movie. It's just unfortunate um, that it didn't do... Yeah too well at the box office because she you know, handled this... it with a plum you got to admit she handled it with with, with uh, a plum and she did the best she could with what she had and i think she was able to really release a product that that spoke really, that did good things and spoke well of, of the comic book movies absolutely and she made a film very fitting of the the title character you know on that mm. let's rate it if you're going to rate this movie because we're kind of almost there or we are there <laughs> if you're going to rate yeah. this film out of five Look, I want to come in at about like probably like a, a four out of five. I think that's fair. Um, I enjoyed it. It certainly wasn't bad. It wasn't. It wasn't a bad movie by any by any stretch of the imagination. Um, four, I think, is fair. I don't know why I'm 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 holding off from giving it a five. Um, I couldn't tell you why, but I remember being really kind of shocked when I first watched it. That was like I suppose I shouldn't have been because it's Punisher, and of course it's going to be violent. But the the level of violence in it to me just went wow. I, I, I just went wow. What the hell? Like that scene where Jigsaw's face gets mangled up in that glass crusher. Just that really stuck with me for like, long after I'd watched the movie. It was just terrifying. And his brother, like I think it's interesting to know we didn't speak about this enough during uh, recording this episode. But his brother is probably like just as much if not more terrifying a villain than jigsaw himself because he's just so psychotic and um he's so sick and twisted it's messed up in the head and you can see it like it's genuinely scary there were really really good performances from the actors who play the villains um and yeah i think it was quite jarring and um it really knocked me on my butt when i first saw it so and it's a movie that's always stuck out stuck out at me um definitely has a, a, a layer of menace to it uh a veiled menace so but and I liked it. I, I but I, I couldn't tell you why I'm not coming in at five. I don't know why, but I'm just going to say four. If I, if I'm honest, like four's high, five is insanely mm. high. Mm. This is a film I wasn't quite prepared for it when I first watched it because, again, did you know there's a a Punisher film that came out in 2004? I might have mentioned it once or twice, but I'd seen that. And I'd seen the Dolph movie years earlier, read the comics. And even though I'd read Punisher Max, I wasn't prepared for this, this movie. So I think that first viewing was quite overwhelming. Like, I remembered that, like, you know, really extreme. I mean, not to the point where I'm looking away, like, it's fine, but it's just mm. really, like, gory, jarring. violent, jarring, yeah. all those yeah. things. And I've probably now watched it, oh, maybe five, Six times over the years. Yeah. 
And most yeah, recently, of that. course, of course, for this, um, I absolutely would not come in as as high as you. And before I give my rating, what I will say and what I'll stand by with this film, it is a good bad film. Like mm. it's it's a bit all over the place, and just hearing about the dramas behind the scenes, it kind of does add up. But it, it's a film that I would recommend, and it seems to be a film even comic book fans maybe haven't seen because mm. of how it was distributed back in the day. It's not available on Disney Plus like the 04 movie is. The John Burnfall series is available on there. It's not quite made it there. I think it's on Netflix. You can still stream it in Australia yeah. but on Netflix. That's where I think that's where I've watched it. I do have the DVD, of course I do, but I I streamed it on Netflix. I'm going to come in. It's a three out of five. It's a it's a recommend. And if you've not seen it. Uh, We've spoiled some things, but you should definitely watch it because it is an experience. And again, the runtime is like a tight 90 minutes. doesn't take too much time at all. Yeah, I was surprisingly um, short for what it was. That really that really struck me. Yeah, and they do they do fit a lot in. So um, so there you go. Mm. That is our episode all about Punisher Warzone. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Nathan, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure, never a chore. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.